That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. What an awesome impact. Uh, well, it's good to be with you guys again. Welcome uh, to Center Church. If you're watching with us online, welcome. It's great to have you with us as well. Uh, my name is Brian. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I actually have served as the lead pastor of Frontline Church um, for many years. And then also I, I serve as the lead pastor of the Zero Collective, which is this network of four churches um, kind of serving uh, God together, going after zero lives unchanged by Jesus in the greater Grand Rapids area. So um, anyway, it's, it, we're all a part of Hand to Hand together, actually, and we're all kind of traveling through, looking at the same things together. It's just a, a blast to be here with you and um, to, to be entering in. We're in the third movement of this series we've been calling Pursued. And so what we've been talking about since the very beginning of 2022, the beginning of the new year, is we've been talking about the big story of Scripture. And really, the big story of Scripture is it's a, so a story about God who pursues us. And so in January, we've been really, really intentional um, because we wanted to talk in January about the way we were created, the way our world was created, the way that uh, we were made in the image of God and made to live in community with each other and with God. And then in February, we wanted to be talking about the fact that sin entered our world. And so we talked about where it all went wrong and where it all broke down and fell apart and how sin has affected every single one of us. And then in March, we knew we wanted to be talking about the way that the cross has redeemed everything. Because we are actually right now today, uh, believe it or not, we're in the third Sunday of Lent. And if you're not familiar uh, with Lent, Lent is, for centuries, Christians have considered it the 40 days, not including Sunday mornings that lead up to Easter. And so it's kind of a sacred time. It's a sacred journey that we go on as Christians where we, we turn our minds and our hearts toward the cross and we look at ourselves and evaluate our lives in light of the cross. And so we're talking about the cross and the way that the cross redeemed everything. And so if you've got your Bible or you've got a Bible app or anything with you, I'd love if you could to turn to Colossians chapter one. That's where we're going to be today is in Colossians. And if you're watching online or, or if you didn't bring your Bible, that's totally okay. The, the scripture will appear on the screens. Um, but essentially Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. He's writing to this group of Christ followers in this church, and he's trying to get them to understand what the cross is all about. And I'll just tell you, uh, my favorite description of the cross and the way it's described is in Colossians. I just love the way that Paul describes it in, Galosh, in Colossians. And this is what he said. Colossians 1 verse 13, he said, for he has, and will you guys just humor me a little bit this morning? Can we just say those next two words together out loud? For he has rescued us. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as Paul was trying to explain the cross and the significance of it to this church in Colossae, he says, you know, if you, if you boil the cross down, if you, if you just kind of get down to what's the essence of the cross, what is the cross at its most raw, at its most real, he says the cross is way more than just a nice thing to do, although it was a nice thing that, that Jesus did for us. It's, it's more than just an ultimate expression of love, even though it was that too. It was an ultimate expression of God's love for us. But, but the way that Paul describes it, he says, actually, the cross is a rescue operation. That's what it is. The cross is, was actually a rescue operation. In other words, our lives were at stake on the cross, and he rescued us by the cross. That's the way that Paul describes it. That's the way we understand it as Christians. And so what I want to do, and what Paul does as he, as he talks to the church there in Colossae, is I just kind of want to walk through a little bit of why is it then that uh, 
people don't be rescued from the cross? Why is it that you and I and every single one of us, we know people right now living in our world who are not experiencing the rescue of the cross? What keeps people from being rescued by the cross? We all know people right now who are in deep depression, or they're wrestling through addiction, hopelessness. Uh, we know that in the last couple of years, even in, the, in this community, suicide rates have climbed, have gone up. Divorce is on a rise. Uh, people are experiencing really difficult situations, and they're not experiencing the rescue of the cross. And so I just want to walk through a couple of reasons uh, why it is. What keeps people from actually stepping in and experiencing the rescue of the cross? Uh, first one is this. We don't think we need to be rescued. The reason that so many people don't experience the rescue of the cross is they walk around their daily lives. They don't think they need to be rescued. They think they're fine. I grew up on the west side of Indianapolis. And I, I remember uh, one day my sister and I, my little sister and I, we were playing in the backyard and uh, my parents were inside uh, with my younger brother who was an infant at the time. We were maybe six and seven. And I literally remember my sister just standing up from the sandbox and she just said, you know what? I'm going to run away from home. And then she literally just proceeded to walk straight to the gate, open the gate, and just walk out of our backyard. And I didn't want to run away from home. That's not what I wanted to do. But I felt like I'm the older brother, like I should go with her to protect her. That's, that's what I should do. And so I got up, I walked to the gate, and I followed my sister, and we ran away from home. And uh, apparently we were gone for like more than an hour. And basically we were just sort of wandering around the west suburbs of Indianapolis. That's what we were doing. We were just running away from home. And uh, actually, it was a pretty boring time. There really was not a whole lot to do. We, you know, we said hi to some people. We pat some dogs, you know what I mean? We cut through some old guy's lawn and got yelled at. I mean, stuff like that. And after a while, uh, my sister, I literally remember, she just goes, okay, let's go back home. And I'm like, okay. So we just kind of walked back home. And we, we knew exactly where home was. But I have this memory as we walked back into our neighborhood and as we got up to our driveway and began to walk uh, up our driveway, there was this commotion going on at, at our house. And all of a sudden, there, there was this, all this, you know, uh, explosion of noise as we began to walk back up. And so what I realized in that moment was that apparently for over an hour, my sister and I had been lost. Now, we didn't know we were lost. We had no idea we were lost. But apparently what had happened is at some point in that period of time, my mother had walked outside to the backyard into a very quiet, empty backyard, and she had freaked out. She'd lost her mind. And so an all-out rescue operation had been called on. Uh, the police had been called. Literally, the police are there at my house. Uh, uh, the neighbors had been, you know, brought into this. There, apparently, there were still neighbors out calling our names, walking around the, you know, the neighborhoods and the streets. We didn't hear anybody. We had, we had no idea. And so we come home, and I just remember everybody suddenly, everybody's so happy, and everybody's clapping, and everybody's cheering, and people are hugging us and everything. And it was awesome at first <laughs> until the whoopings began, <laughs> right? Uh, but, but my sister and I, we learned two things in that moment. The, the two things we learned is, one, we, we had no idea we were lost. We had no idea how lost we were. And the second thing we learned is that we had no idea how valuable we were. We, we had such value that when we went missing, it required a, an all-out rescue operation to be called. We had no idea. 
I think the people of Colossae were in the exact same situation as Paul was, was writing these words to them. And, and I would say people in our world today, many of us, and people that you work with, people that you are regularly in relational circles with, have no idea those two things. They have no idea how lost they are, and they have no idea how valuable they actually are to God. Uh, look at how Paul describes this. In Colossians 2, he goes on, he's trying to describe, here's how the cross has rescued us. Here's how the rescue operation has taken place. He says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Did you hear what Paul's saying here? I mean, literally, if you just look at the list of stuff there in those verses I just read that he says that we've been rescued from by the cross, he literally says you were dead, but God made you alive in Christ. It's not just that, you know, you had a little bit of a problem. It's not that you were just kind of bad. He said you were dead, and God made you alive in Christ. I mean, imagine being the Colossians, uh, you know, church there. I mean, they're probably like, really? I, I didn't realize I was dead. I think I still got a pulse. You say, no, your situation was far worse than you think. In, in eternal terms, you were already dead. And God made you alive with Christ. In verse 14, he says, you were condemned. You had legal indebtedness, charges that had been brought against you, and God forgave us by the cross. God forgave you by the cross. Again, they're, they're probably like, really? I, di I didn't realize I, I had a legal case against me. And then he goes and says in verse 15, there were powers and authorities that were disarmed and then publicly triumphed over by the cross. So the, the cross literally was this victory. It was this triumph over the enemies that we face. They're, they're only real enemies that we face in this world, death, sin. And Jesus triumphed over them by the cross. We've been rescued but we don't know it. The Colossians didn't think that. They weren't walking around thinking that, that I'm, I'm lost and I need a rescue. Uh, I love what Frederick Buchner said, a great Christian writer. He said, before the gospel can be good news, it first has to be bad news. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying literally the gospel message, because we don't know we're lost, we don't realize how bad the situation is that we're actually in. The gospel actually has to be bad news before it can be good news. In other words, the gospel kind of comes along and punches us in the gut and then it hugs you, if you really understand it. It knocks you down on the ground and then it lifts you up. It, because, because the message, when we really get it, is that you're lost. You are absolutely lost and you can't save yourself and you are in need of a rescue. That's the bad news. But then right along after it, the way it lifts it up is we realize that we are valuable beyond our wildest comprehension, beyond your wildest imagination. God loves you so completely that he sacrifices life for you on the cross. That's the truth that we're leaning into. That's the truth that we understand uh, when we understand the gospel. I was uh, friends with a, a guy who was a lifeguard years ago, and he told me um, when you go through lifeguard training, especially like on the beach, they train you not to just look for the isolated person way out, that they train you to look for people who are in distress, like in groups of people. And he said, here's the reason why. It's because most drownings that happen actually happen with people surrounded by their family and friends. Within arm's reach, 
of someone being able to rescue them. Most drownings happen like that, not isolated way out somewhere. And the reason is because what happens is those people, as they begin to drown, they don't realize that they're in trouble until it's too late. They don't realize how serious the situation is. They don't realize they're, they're actually drowning or how serious it is until it's too late. And so oftentimes they're right there. They feel comfortable, surrounded by family and friends and, until all of a sudden they're in trouble. And, and so when I heard him say that, that to me was such a picture of spiritually what happens in our lives too. In Byron Center, all around us, there are people who are absolutely drowning spiritually within arm's reach of family and friends and people who know them, but they don't realize it. They don't realize how bad it is. The, the reason they don't cry out, the reason that they don't ask for help is they don't realize how bad their situation really is. So that, that's the first reason. We've been rescued. The cross is a rescue operation. And the first thing that keeps people from being rescued is we don't think we need to be rescued. We just don't think we need it. The second reason that people are not rescued is because we assume that it requires behavior modification. A lot of people, when they hear the message of the gospel, when they hear the message of the cross, uh, they assume that the whole point of it was to make us into better behaved people. The cross is about, you know, taking someone who's got some bad behavior and who's acting up and helping them basically become a better person and a good person, you know, like a more moral person to change our behavior from bad to good. But what Paul just got through telling us is that Jesus didn't die on the cross to make bad people into good people. He died on the cross to make dead people alive. That's what he died on the cross for. It's almost as if Paul is anticipating this because he goes on in this next verse. Look at this, Colossians 2, verse 16. Just got through saying, uh, you know, the cross is a rescue operation and you've been made alive again when you were dead. Therefore, he says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So, so Paul literally says, we, we have all these rules that we follow, right? These moral rules, don't eat this, don't drink that, uh, you know, make sure you observe this day and this festival and this holy thing. Here's this list of rules of things you, you should and should not do. And Paul is basically saying, like, the reality, those things pointed toward a greater reality. Those rules were there to basically show us that we can't uh, follow the rules perfectly. We can't save ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves by our perfect behavior. That's why the cross was a rescue operation. Those things, those rules actually pointed us to the real reality, which is found in Christ. And so what we know is happening in the church there in Colossae is that there, was, there were people who had come along and essentially what they were saying, the message they were giving to the church there was, hey, it's great that you have Jesus. It's, great, it's awesome that you put your faith in Jesus, but if you really want to be made right with God, if you really want to be good with God, eat this, don't drink that, follow this rule, go to this thing, but, but avoid these, these, these people over here. And they were, they were making it all about behavior modification, making it all about these uh, the, these ways that we live. And Paul is basically saying, look, all those things, they just pointed to our ultimate need for Jesus. The cross is what matters because the cross is the only thing that can change a life. The cross is the only thing that can rescue someone. That, that's the only hope that we have. Jesus didn't die on the cross so your behavior would be a little bit better. He, dis, he died on the cross because you needed to be rescued from your old life and you needed to be given a whole new life in him. Our, our behavior, it wasn't just our behavior that needed to change. Uh, we needed a whole new identity. 
We needed a whole new heart. We needed a whole new mode of being. We were just singing about it a moment ago, that, that, that we're a child of God. We're no longer slaves to fear, but we are a child of God, a son and a daughter. That's what we're called to. That, that's what the rescue looks like. Uh, years ago, um, at the church where I've pastored for many years, Frontline, there was a guy who set up a, a, like a counseling appointment with me. He said, hey, I, I need to come in and see you. And so when I asked him, well, what's the, you know, what's the reason for the meeting? He basically said, uh, well, my wife has kicked me out of our house and she's threatening to divorce me unless I talk with you. No pressure or anything. So I sit down for this meeting with this guy and I'm, I'm literally, I'm just kind of like, okay, so what's, uh, what's your wife's main, you know, complaint about you? Why is she kicking you out of the house? Why is she threatening to divorce you unless you talk to me? And he says, well, here's, here's the deal. She thinks I have a drinking problem. She thinks I drink too much. And so I said, okay, do you, <laughs> do you have a drinking problem? Do you drink too, too much? And so we began to just talk about alcohol and the role it played in his life. And here's what he told me. He said, I, tried, I did try to give up drinking for her and it lasted less than a week. And he said, um, basically, he had started missing so many days at work because of his drinking and the way it was affecting him that he had lost his job. And it had been a few months and he had not found a new job or, or found anything else to do. And then the real kicker, finally, as he <laughs> unloads in the conversation. He said, literally, uh, he admitted there were days at a time where he would lose all, tr like he had no memory of an entire day because he would drink so much that he would black out. And literally there was like a day of his life he just had no memory of at all. And so I literally was like, okay, I think we've established you have a drinking problem. You, in fact, yes, you, you have a drinking problem. And he admitted, he said, yeah, you know what? I think I do. I think I do have a problem with alcohol. I have a drinking problem. And so what I did is I started to turn the, the conversation then. I was like, okay, so let's talk about this thing called Celebrate Recovery. There's some other people in our church who are on the other side of working through sobriety and everything. I began to talk about like 12-step programs and just different options, ways he could go. And I'll never forget, he stops me. He goes, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. And here's what he said. He goes, listen, I, I get it. I know my behavior needs to change. I want to change my behavior. I want to act better. He said, but here's the thing. I don't want to stop drinking. I get it. I, I know my behavior needs to change, but I don't want to stop drinking. I was shocked by that. And I literally remember just saying to him, really, is that all you want? Is just to get your behavior a little bit more under control? I said, sir, what your wife wants for you, she actually does love you. The reason she's kicking you out and, and the reason she's making you come talk to me, the, 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 you know, the thing I want most for you and the thing that all your real friends, your true friends want for you is to see you be rescued from alcohol because it's killing you. He had no idea how lost he really was. He had no idea how bad the situation was that he was really in and he had no idea how valuable he really was. No idea how absolutely loved he really was. The question is not, are you behaving yourself? The question is, are you being rescued? Are you being rescued? Is, is your identity been transformed into, I'm not a product of what I do, how well I behave, how well I act, what I achieve, what I can perform for myself and how other people approve of me. My identity is I'm a child of God. Uh, I love this line. Go ahead if, if you could to this next. 
The law, of, the law tells people what to do, but the gospel tells people who they are. The law tells people what to do. Do this, don't do that. Eat this, don't drink that. Attend this thing. Make sure you, you are around these people, but you're not around these people. The gospel doesn't do that. The gospel, the cross, just tells us who we are. You know what's interesting? If you actually compare the ethical system of Christianity to all the other major world religions, uh, there's actually a lot of similarities. There's not a whole lot different. So all the major world religions say things like, don't lie, uh, don't cheat, um, you know, don't kill people, don't murder people. They all basically say the same like ethical things. The difference between all the other world religions and Christianity is that the, all the other world religions say, do the right things because they are the right things. Be moral, be ethical, because the, it's the right thing to do to be moral and ethical. Christianity a- actually has no interest in doing the right things because they're the right things to do. Christianity says, do the right things because of who you are. You are a child of God. You have been rescued. You are a, a new person in Christ. Most of us, we have no idea how lost we truly are, and we have no idea how valuable we truly are. And, and who Christ really rescued us to be. So Paul goes on in terms of like, how do we receive the rescue? He talks about it right there in, in chapter two, as we've been reading. Um, in verse six, he, he talks about receiving him as Lord. He says the, the way we're rescued is we receive Jesus as Lord. Um, we, and we've talked about this before. I know you guys, we, we've talked about this and heard this. We come to this place in our lives where we surrender our lives to him, where we realize that we can't save ourselves, we can't fix ourselves, and we need to be rescued. And so we make Jesus Lord of our lives. You know, you know what's so interesting about that is so many people uh, will, will say, you know, Jesus was a great teacher. And they'll refer to him as a great teacher. And he was a great teacher. Or so other people say, you know, he was an enlightened person, an enlightened being. And I would agree, he was an enlightened person, But when the Bible talks about Jesus, Jesus is called a savior. Think about that. The way Jesus identified himself and the way the Bible talks about him was a savior. He was called a a savior because we needed to be saved. That's the situation we were in. He's a savior because he came to rescue us, to to be a savior. And then verse 12, it says, be baptized. Actually, what it says in Colossians 2 is that when we're baptized, we are buried with Christ in baptism. And I, actually, I don't think we talk about this enough, about the meaning of baptism, the symbolism of it. And basically, what it's saying there is just like Jesus was di- died on the cross and then Jesus was buried, when we go down in the water of baptism, when we go underneath the water, what we're essentially saying is, I'm dying to my old life. I'm, di- I'm dead I'm dying to, you know, trying to fix myself, make myself better. I'm dying to try to, you know, make myself look good by my own performance. I'm dead to that. And just like Jesus rose from the grave, when we come out of the water of baptism, we're saying, I'm living a new life in Christ. I was dead, but now I've been made alive again. The picture of baptism is a picture of death to life. It's a picture of rescue, of a human life being rescued by Jesus. And so as we begin to turn this toward ourselves uh, this morning, as we turn, turn this and say, okay, so what do we do with this? The cross, if you boil it down at its most raw, the cross at its essence, it's a rescue operation. That's what it is. So just a couple of thoughts. First of all, I want to talk about what's on your list, and then I want to talk about who's on your list. So first off, what's on your list? Um, here's by, what I mean by that. We all have a list. 
internally in, in our heads. All of us have a list, a list of behaviors we know need to change in our lives. I have mine, you have yours. We all have kind of this, this list. And I've had people say things to me like, uh, you know, Brian, I would love to get baptized someday. Someday I will. Someday I'm going to go get baptized. But I just have to do this first, fill in the blank. And it's whatever it is on their list. I'd love to get, someday I'm going to get baptized, but I have to, you know, first I have to work on my porn problem. I, I, you know, someday I will get baptized, but first I need to fix things with my sister. I need to forgive my ex. I, I, need, I need to stop drinking. I need to work on my, my addiction, my problem, right? This is, what, this is what people say all the time. So someday I'm going to get baptized. Someday I'll get there when I'm able to get to this place in, in my life. And, and if that's you, if that's what you're thinking, you have completely missed the po- entirely the point of baptism, the point of the cross. We don't fix ourselves. We don't clean ourselves up and then kind of, hey, look, Jesus, look what I did. I got myself ready for you. Now, now I'm presentable. The whole point is that Jesus is a savior because we needed to be saved. The cross is a, a rescue operation. So what we do is we let Jesus redeem us. We, we say yes to him to being Lord of our lives. We say yes to him in baptism. And then whatever is that is on our list, that becomes his. It's not, it's not ours anymore. Our list is now his to deal with in our relationship with him. And we begin to live out of our new identity in him. That's how it works. And so this morning, what's on your list? Do you need to surrender it to Jesus? Have you, have you resisted saying yes? Maybe you just don't realize how bad the situation is, that you can't fix your list by yourself. You can't clean yourself up and make yourself presentable. You need Jesus to do it. Is there, is there any way this morning you just need to say, Jesus, I just recognize I need you to rescue me. And here's these things. And then that list that becomes his. It's no longer yours to deal with. It's his to deal with. So what's on your list? And then the second thing, a second question, who's on your list? Who is on your list? Uh, So if the cross is a rescue operation, if that's really what it is, then are you a part of a rescue operation for someone else? Are you a part of someone else's rescue? Do, Do you have a list um, do you know why we went to two services here at Center? Do you know why we, uh, you know, made more space in the kids' ministry by going to two services, made more room in, in this room? Do you know why John works so hard every week to make this a kind of church where lost people and new people can come in and be welcomed? And we're praying for five list of five names. I loved that earlier. Do you know why we do all that here? The, the reason that this church is, is wired that way, the reason that there's so much effort put into that is because we know that every single day there are people who are drowning spiritually within arm's reach of family and friends and they don't even realize how bad their situation is. That's why we do this. That's, that's why we call ourselves to this as a church. Um... I remember years ago, I, I used to get criticized on a regular basis, and I don't think John, John hasn't told me anybody here has criticized him in this way, but I remember when we, as a church, when we uh, went to two services, I remember when we uh, moved into the building that we're in right now, and it was a huge step, and I mean, you guys have gone through a lot of that in the last year, um, 
And I remember as, as we would challenge the congregation and we would talk about, you know, uh, we want to make room for growth and all that kind of stuff, the criticism I would get, like the Monday morning email, the thing that people would say to me all the time is, all you care about is numbers. You just care about numbers. You know, numbers of people coming, numbers of people getting saved, numbers of people getting baptized. All you care about is numbers. I got to tell you, that never scared me. It doesn't scare me now. If that's you, I'll take you on right now. You don't scare me. Uh, And the reason I, I, I say that is because I'm not scared because I know that every one of those numbers is a life. It's a human being who is lost and who is incredibly, incredibly valuable to God. And I will tell you this, when it is your brother, when it's your sister, when it's your child, when it's your friend, when it's your coworker, when it's your neighbor that comes out of that baptismal tank and is made new in Christ, I promise you, you will care about that number. It'll matter to you. You'll make the argument for me. I won't even have to argue with you. Because the cross is a rescue operation. That's what it is. And we should care about that. So would you just bow with me for a moment? So Lord Jesus, uh, we're just very aware as we gather right now, God, this is a, we, four Sundays until Easter Sunday morning. So God, right now, I just pray for each one of us that you would just put on our hearts the name of one person on our list. Somebody who's on our list. Someone who is close to us, but far from you. Who doesn't realize, they're spiritually drowning. They don't realize how lost they really are or how much they matter. And right now, Jesus, I, Paul all the time in the, in the New Testament prayed for open doors. I just pray for open doors right now. God, I just pray for open doors of conversations to make an invite to just say, hey, whatever you're doing at Easter, come join me. Come, come be a part of our church on that day. Pray for open doors, God, for spiritual conversations. God, uh, with that, with whoever that person is for each one of us, God, would you give us literally like spiritual radar, um, just that, that sensitivity from the Holy Spirit to all, to all of a sudden know it. Oh, hey, I'm in one of those conversations. There's a moment here uh, where I could share, where I could invite. Uh, because the cross is a rescue operation. That's what it is. God, would you make us sensitive to that? Would you make us aware of that? And God, for any of us in this room who maybe we've got a list, we've got something that we look at in our lives and we say, man, if I, I'm, as soon as I work on this, as soon as I figure this out, as soon as I check these boxes, then I'll be ready to get baptized. Maybe, maybe we've been resisting you because we don't like the thought that, uh, that we're weak, that we are lost beyond our wildest uh, imagination and that we need to be rescued. So God, whatever we need to surrender to you this morning, we surrender that list. We surrender that stuff that the enemy loves to play over and over again in our heads and condemn us with. We were dead, but you made us alive. We were condemned and you forgave us by the cross. You canceled the power of the powers and authorities so that we could be made new in you. You triumphed over them by the cross. So So today we just give you that list. There's nothing too great for you and we make it yours. We love you because you loved us first. 
And we ask that you would just continue to do your work in us and in this community. In Jesus' name, everybody said.